0: please, the court with me today is Rebecca Patterson, my partner, and Attorney General Alex Ritchie of the San Carlos Apache Tribe. I'd like to reserve four minutes for rebuttal. May I remove my mask? You may, sir. Sure. Under the Indian Health Care Improvement Act, the Indian Health Service carries out a federal health care program for American Indians using a mix of appropriated funds and third-party revenue dollars. That is the federal program that the San Carlos Apache Tribe contracted to operate under the Indian Self-Determination Act. In return, the government committed to pay contract support costs to carry out that federal program. Now, the tribe contends that the contract support costs, overhead costs, are due on the entire federal program. The government asserts No, it's due on the appropriated portion of the program, but not the portion of the program that's funded with third-party revenues that the government would be using if it were still operating the program. The government's position cannot be sustained under the contract, under the statute, or the controlling rule of statutory construction. Let me begin with the contract. The contract, page 86 of the excerpts of record, tells us exactly what's going on with respect to third-party revenues. It says the contractor is required to maintain an efficient billing system, this is at 086, to maximize third-party revenues. You don't see that in many contracts. That's in this contract. And the third-party payers are specified, Medicare, Arizona's version of Medicaid, the um, uh, private insurance, and, of course, IHS's own contract health care system, uh, currently called the patient can, can I ask? Preferred- a part- Yes. So are you asserting that the, either the
1: contract or the statutes require the, the tribe to uh, pursue
0: these, these uh, third-party? Absolutely they require That's a term of the contract, and with good reason, because Congress in the Indian Health Care Improvement Act expected the Indian Health Service and so also the tribes to bill third-party revenue uh, payers because appropriations were simply insufficient to provide the need across Indian countries. This is a mandate that was put into Title IV of the Indian Health Care Improvement Act. Today it appears in 1621. Other provisions, 1621E. Uh, the, the shoveling of that money into the program is 1621F and 1620, as I say, 1641D.
1: Okay, but – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, Your Honor. Well, I, just the, the government does – uh, dispute this uh, the, the, the requ- I mean there's no dispute that it's authorized certainly authorized, the tribe is authorized to go get these monies but I'm just focusing on the required point. Correct. The government says
0: no, that's not correct. That's right. The government disputes that but the government doesn't read the contract. But where is it in the contract? The contract says what that What provision? The, uh, objective 1D on page 86 the contractor is required to maintain an efficient billing system to maximize third party revenues and on the bottom it Under Objective 2F, on the same page, to generate maximum third-party revenues for all eligible patient transports. This is the part of the contract, Your Honor, that deals both with ambulance transports uh, out from San Carlos, as well as non-emergent transports to see physicians. I I, I would add, of course, as we addressed in the brief, also the 1623, which provides that uh, appropriated dollars are a payer of last resort, Your Honor has seen both sides of it. Of that.
1: Yeah, I, I think the yeah. only, only reason I'm asking about this is to, to, if we were to, to agree with the government on this particular, this little bitty point about right. whether um, uh, pursuing third-party revenues was required, do you lose at that
0: point? Is no, there, I don't that, think that's it that's matters. What, okay, that's what I thought. But yeah, I, I, people I mean, were fighting I mean, over and I didn't th- th- The funny thing about it, it I apologize, your aunt, I didn't want to speak over you. Oh, no, I don't think it matters at all. The Indian Healthcare Improvement Act creates the program. And it authorizes the funding for the program. It authorizes appropriations. It authorizes the billing of third-party payors. Together, those two bodies of money come together, and from that you provide the program authorized by Congress. And the tribes are seeking no more or less than what Congress authorized in the Indian Healthcare Improvement Act that it would contract under the Indian Self-Determination Act.
2: Can I just confirm one thing? And that is that the the income that comes in from these third parties must be used on the – services provided under the contract, is
0: that correct? Absolutely. It's not only uh, provided for under the Indian Healthcare Improvement Act, it's provided under the Indian Self-Determination Act itself. Uh, 5325M says that the collections come uh, in carrying out the contract and then the expenditures must be to, to uh, satisfy the purposes of the contract. So 5325M, which of course is incorporated into the contract, closes the loop. We have a system of total health care funding, appropriated dollars, third-party revenue dollars. They come in through the contract, and they have to go out under the contract. There's no getting around it. And this is not an odd scenario. It's the exact same thing the Indian Health Service does. So again, we we seek only to replicate what the Indian Health Service would be doing if it were collecting the funds, Your Honor. Okay, but I thought the government was
1: saying that um, you were not necessarily required to use all of the... Money you got from the third part party um, payers on the specific uh, health services that are specified under the contract. In other words, because you just used the the term, which I think is like it has to be used. I don't know what to further the purposes of the, the the contract. But anyway, I thought that they were making the argument that you were allowed a little bit more flexibility in terms of what you use the money for and that that created part of the problem, that it wasn't, it didn't all have to be directed to the specific services under this contract.
0: That too is a situation that is identical as between tribes and the Indian Health Service. The Indian Health Service has some flexibility in how it's going to marshal these new funds that it gets from third party payers to carry out the general mission of the Indian Health Service as authorized by Congress. Tribes also have some discretion, yes, is how to manage it. Are they going to put this money into the ambulances or the non-emergent patient transport? Uh, are they going to buy a new ambulance because the old one is no longer working? I mean, there's some, yes, flexibility of how it's used, but it must be used to carry out the contract. That, and it, that's the linchpin of the case. Uh, Just the so government's to effort— a
2: better sort of contextual understanding— yeah. How much is at stake for the contract support cost here for this? I, I didn't. What, is the, um, what are we
0: talking about in terms of dollar amounts? Well, we never got to that in the case, uh, but if you figure it. Well, you must have thought about it. Right. I, I, in in, uh, in uh, contract support cost payments, if memory serves me right, there was several hundred thousand dollars that were due and were paid, and there was more than double that. Uh, that was due on the portion of the program that was funded with third-party revenues, and the government did not pay that. The government actually was short on the on the first part, but we settled those counts, and that part of the case was dismissed. Uh, but the government paid nothing on the second part. And, and this turns out to be very important. If, give me a moment, Your Honor. When the government runs the appropriated part of the operation and the third-party revenue part of the operation, they're mixing the money together, When they do that, they benefit from the vast overhead that the federal government fortunately provides to any federal agency, whether it's judiciary or any other branch. So you have the Office of Personnel Management. You you sign up on your SF-171, apply for employment. You've got the General Services Administration doing all the wonderful things it does with respect to buildings and property and such. Procurement activities. The Justice Department will prosecute claims for you or defend claims against you. The Office of General Counsel at HHS is outside of IHS. It provides advice to the IHS. All of these overhead functions are the same functions that tribes have to perform, but they don't have access to GSA, to OPM, to Department of Justice, to OGC, to the National Archives to store their records. So tribes have to pay for that. Fine, that was the purpose of contract support costs. we recall back in 1987, there was a a Senate report in amending the statute that said the single greatest impediment to the success of tribal self-determination was a failure to pay indirect costs, which are contract support costs, 80% of contract support are indirect, because there was no mechanism in the statute for paying those funds. So Congress created contract support costs. And today, it's an unlimited line item in the appropriation. Your Honours are clear. The payment of contract support costs doesn't come out of the agency's budget. doesn't come out of agency programs. A ruling in favor, prospectively, doesn't mean less money for for uh, substance abuse programs for other tribes because it's a separate, indefinite appropriation that has been since fiscal year 2015 in the wake of the Salazar versus Raymond decision. And and of course any back recovery comes out of the Judgment Fund, so it too doesn't uh, at all burden the Indian Health Service. The government's proposition requires reading into the statute an exception that isn't there, and I did want to take a moment to visit with your honors about the statute. The Indian Self-Determination Act covers a vast array of responsibilities and burdens and limitations on tribes. It describes what happens when a tribe operates these programs, services, functions, and activities. Excuse me, I just need some water. Your honors, I'm sure, and I know, are familiar with the Federal Tour Claims Act. It applies to actual emissions that occur in the course of carrying out an Indian Self-Determination Act contract. I've been doing this business for a long time, seen a lot of FTCA cases. Nobody ever asks, was the doctor or the nurse that is alleged to have committed malpractice being paid at that time with appropriated dollars or third party revenue dollars? It doesn't happen. It's not a relevant question. You're carrying out the contract. It doesn't matter which of those two sources is at issue. The same thing with uh, drugs. Tribes purchase drugs uh, under the federal supply schedule. Uh, there's a special contract with certain pharmace- uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers. And nobody asks, oh, are you buying those drugs with appropriated dollars? Or are you buying those drugs with third-party revenues? And perhaps the, the most important for the United States, I would think, Section 5330 authorizes the government to come in and take back a contract, rare if the contractor is carrying out the program in a way that is causing harm to public health or patients. Nobody would ask in that setting, oh, is the contractor only using third-party revenue dollars? Oh, then then we don't need to take over the contract. I mean, that would be an absurd construction of the Indian Self-Determination Act, and nobody supposes it. And I'm sure my friends on the other side would agree. It's only when it comes to contract support costs That they say, oh, no, no, the third-party revenue portion of the contract is not part of the contract at all. It's actually outside the contract. That that makes no sense. Now, if Congress had said that, we'd live with it. But what did Congress say? It said 5325A3, the operation of the federal program that is the subject of the contract. It doesn't say operation of the portion of the federal program funded with agency appropriations, it doesn't say operational. The portion of the federal program funded by the secretary under subsection A. So maybe you can respond to
1: the to the D.C. Circuit's decision. Uh, that's obviously the, the one that we're going to have to yeah. disagree with if we rule for you. Um, so the the D.C. Circuit read that same language you were just quoting from as
0: actually doing exactly the opposite of what you just right.
1: suggested, right? So what what is wrong with the, the rationale? That you, that What's
0: the wrong is that the D.C. Circuit reads an exception into this language that isn't here. And it's and doubly wrong because the D.C. Circuit doesn't heed the Supreme Court's admonition with all respect to the court that the government's position can only prevail if it's clearly required by the text of the language. And as we mentioned in the briefs, this, this is not a flexible judicial canon of construction. It's a mandate from Congress that that the courts and the lawyers alike must apply. There is no room for the argument that the language federal program is the subject of the contract means something other than the federal program, which How do we define the federal program? By reference to the Indian Health Care Improvement Act. Now we're going in a circle. The Indian Health Care Improvement Act authorizes appropriations and and provides a mechanism for billing third party payers. And the agency mixes those two together to provide the wonderful program that the Indian Health Service does provide when it's not contracted by a tribe. It's that program, no more nor less. We're not seeking uh, to expend any other revenues besides Medicare Medicaid, and private insurance. The, it, what's interesting about this case, Your Honor, is that the, the court below actually gave the right uh, the right standard but the wrong answer on, on page 3 of the court's opinion. The court asks, and this is on page 8 of the excerpts of record, uh, it, the court says, it would be unreasonable to construe this program, the co- program that's being contracted by the tribe, as anything other than the program, IHS would be charged with operating absent and is the contract. I couldn't agree more. It would be unreasonable. But what's unreasonable is to construe the tribe's contract and contracted program as less than what IHS would be operating. It's absolutely, it cannot be denied that IHS is operating a program that is funded both with appropriated dollars and thanks to the Indian Healthcare Improvement Act, uh, third party revenues as well, and the tribe seeks to operate the same program. I, I, I do wanted to uh, go back when I mentioned earlier how the, uh, the uh, agency does rely on these other uh, resources outside the Indian Health Service for its overhead. If the tribe can't reach those, uh, a comp- can't uh, receive a comparable sum of money to replicate those resources, it's a zero-sum game. The tribe has to take the money, has to divert money out of the third-party revenues to make up the shortfall, to to pay for those services. Uh, This is alleged in the complaint that this actually happened with the San Carlos Apache tribe. Apparently, it was considered a fiction or a hypothetical in one of the other cases. It's not a hypothetical here. It's it's alleged this 12B6 motion had to be accepted as true. Do you
1: you want to say uh, a, a... Um, anything about 15, 5326, which the, the district court also uh, relied on, I think?
0: Well, yes. I, uh, th- thank you for asking me the question, Your Honor. 5326 is a, is an odd statute, it, is, uh, as I'm sure you're, you're aware. It's actually an appropriations rider. It was enacted by appropriations rider, not by the committees that were balancing this language and trying to match it with the rest of the self-determination. I, it appropriations rider enacted in response to the 10th Circuit's decision in Raymond Navajo versus Lujan And the problem in that case is that the overhead associated with two small state contracts had been allocated over to the BIA, the sister agency of IHS. And that's what Congress wanted to forbid. You can't take the overhead allocable to these little contracts that have nothing to do with the BIA, even if they're related programs, it's a different contract, and shove them onto the BIA and make the BIA uh, pay the freight. That's not what's happening here. These these services are being funded directly under the contract. The contract requires through 20, uh, 5325M1 that the money be spent under the contract. So I, 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 I appreciate the judge's focus on the term directly attributable, but, but the analysis is wrong for two reasons. First, directly attributable has to be understood in the context in which that statute was adopted, which was the misallocation of overhead costs from these two little contracts over to the BIA. If you wanna look at the judge's analysis of directly attributable versus attributable, look at what the judge said about the savings provision in the act. The judge says, look at the savings provision in the act. It uses the word attributable in 5325A4. What could be more directly, immediately attributable to the contract than savings under the contract? I mean, it is immediate. There is no space there. And yet the judge said, oh no, that's just attributable. It has to be tighter than that. More directly attributable, we we submit that that analysis doesn't hold. I'd like to reserve the balance of my time, if I may.
1: Yes, thank you. Very good. Let's hear from
0: counsel for the government. Um,
1: Yes, please proceed whenever you're ready. Uh, You're muted, I think. We we definitely cannot hear you. May I watch him from here? Sure. Oh yes, of course.
3: Sorry about that, Your Honor. I was on mute. Yep. Uh, may, may it please the court? I'm John Capel from the Justice Department, representing the Appleese secretary of HHS, uh, director of uh, uh, IHS and, uh, and the United States. Um, in this case involving the uh, involving contract, support, contract uh, support costs under the Indian Self-Determination and Education Assistance Act known as ISTA. Uh as the D.C. Circuit said in in the Swinomish case, uh, when the Act speaks uh, of uh, contract support costs, it does not mention money uh, received from third parties like insurance providers. Instead, the Act says reimbursements for contract support costs cover activities that ensure compliance with the terms of the contract conducted by the tribe as a contract. Thus. The scope of contract support costs is limited to those under one emphasis. The court's contract—the one between a contractor, the tribe, and the contracting agency. Well,
1: the, counsel, uh, you know, you're focusing, or the D.C. Circuit rather, focused on the use of the term "the contract." I guess I find more more helpful that the part of the statute that talks about the federal program, because it seems to me your, your opponent is right that there can't be any dispute that um, the the money that's being captured from these third-party payers and then, you know, necessarily used to carry out the um, uh, provide health services, it's certainly part of the federal program. It's not part of some other program, right? So I, I just, I mean, the 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 second part of that phrase that is the subject of the contract, yes, that's trying to generally identify um, what federal program we're talking about, but nobody, there's no fight over that. So help me understand why you think that language is as clear as the D.C. Circuit said it was.
3: Well, Your Honor, the uh, the D.C. Circuit had uh, an answer to that uh, to that uh, point as well, and what it said was, if you take the plaintiff's theory of the scope of the federal program to its logical conclusion, Indian Health Service would be on the line for unlimited contract support costs based on the unlimited sources of outside the contract funding available to a tribe. That's not what the Act requires, and that's really that is the the uh, the heart. Uh, of of the uh, the dispute here, um, the uh, 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 the plaintiffs are arguing for a for a, 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 a what they call a parity principle between uh, IHS and the tribes, but that parity principle only applies to funds that are received under the contract, i.e., the secretarial amount. It does not apply to to uh, to third party funds that are, that uh, that constitute program income, the uh, the statute makes clear that uh, that uh, program income is a supplement to the uh, to uh, to um, the uh, the contract, and it's not uh, actually part of it. That's what the, the what both sections fifty three twenty five M and fifty three eighty eight J of of the ISDA, establish and uh, the uh, the reason that the reason that Congress did it that, that uh, Congress uh, set up the system this way was because it was concerned with establishing uh, parity between uh, the IHS and the tribes with respect to the secretarial amount with respect to the the uh, the, the funds that are provided under the contract. And that is what CSC contract support costs go for. Now, with respect to third-party funds, it is it's crucial that the tribes can do much more and and have done much more uh, with the funding than uh, than uh, the Indian Health Service does. First of all, the tribes are free to uh, to uh, bill third parties generally. Um, and and uh, non-beneficiaries, they are able to take non-tribal uh, beneficiaries um, and and charge them, and then uh, plow that uh, that uh, um, money back into the program, and also gain additional uh, additional funds, additional third-party funds on that uh, uh, that uh, that uh, uh, program income. And they can use that for much more than than uh, the IHS does. Well, uh, let me just make sure I understand.
1: Let me make sure I understand the point. Are you saying that um, the tribe uh, could provide health services to um, non-tribal uh, members uh, who wouldn't have been eligible for services by IHS, capture money from third-party payers, and then and and you're saying that's the the, the issue that's that's posed here? Because why couldn't you just segregate out those funds then and say, well, you don't get contract support costs on that because that's not part of the federal program that we're talking about in the statute.
3: Well, but your honor, the uh, point is that Congress created really a a hard and fast distinction between, between the funds provided by IHS uh, under the ISTA contract and, and third party funding. Um, That's, that is the, uh, uh, the, um, the purpose of the, of, uh, 5325M and 5388J, which uh, which, which um, make clear that those that the third party funds are supplemental to the uh, to the to the funds provided may, may, uh, by IHS.
2: May I ask you um, how did IHS use the income funds? The third party IHS, income funds.
3: Yes, Your Honor. IHS uses the income funds. Um, to to uh, provide additional services, to also pay for administrative costs, and to do to uh, uh, to to uh, to do the things that are allowed under un, under uh, um, section, I believe it's uh, 25 USC 1641 C, um, which uh, which is the Indian Healthcare Improvement Act uh, provision that that uh, discusses um, the use of these third-party fundings. Funding, but it's not limited simply to providing um, uh, additional progr- additional healthcare services. It's not limited that way for either IHS or for the tribe. Um, the both both IHS and the tribe uh, can use the, the use the third party funds for more general purposes, like the the fifty three twenty five M says the general purposes of the contract, and it also and, and that includes that embraces things like um, like like uh, improving facilities and um, and, and um, um, just paying for for right, general general costs that are associated uh, with uh, with um, the, with the program. But um, it is not it, here. I, they, the 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 cardinal point there is that again the uh, the tribes can do much more with the funds. They are allowed to um, they're they're allowed to. To uh, to charge to to uh, to provide services to uh, non-Indian beneficiaries, essentially at will, they have to re- they have to recoup those funds. But it's in their interest to do so, and they do. And they use those funds. They can use those funds uh, again for, uh, for to provide uh, many more services, and also to do things like that. IHS can't do um, like like uh, build construct additional facilities. Um, and so this actually the, this the scheme makes sense um, from from that standpoint the, uh, um, the, the 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 program income is really from from the tribe standpoint it is uh, an additional benefit that allows them to expand uh, the services under the program uh, and and to uh, uh, and to basically to to expand the program but Congress did not, uh, intend in in uh, in the ISDA to have uh, to uh, to subsidize the expanded program with contract support costs. Those costs are only directed to the con to to the funds provided by IHS under the contract.
4: Council, the, uh, uh, me. Uh, let me ask a, a practical question: um, An individual uh, shows up. Uh, at the San Carlos Tribe uh, for the provision of medical services. The individual has either through access or Medicare expansion, or maybe even they have a supplemental insurance program, and they receive the services. Um, the An identical individual uh, goes to a tribe, uh, uh, goes to an Indian Health Service uh facility uh, that is uh, not part of a tribal-administered health program and receives exactly the same medical services. And this individual has exactly the same benefits as the person who went to San Carlos. Uh, Is the government's position uh, that the government gets to keep the third-party reimbursements in the case of IHS but not in the case of the tribe?
3: Well, no, Your Honor, because again, the, there's uh, the, the uh, uh, there's no there's no parallel. The, the in 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 your, your hypothetical regarding IHS, if the person is a non-beneficiary, basically uh, outside of very limited circumstances, IHS cannot provide um, services to that person. These
4: these two it's, individuals in my hypothetical are in exactly the same position forget whether they're beneficiaries or not. Maybe they're both tribal members, one of the San Carlos Nation and one of the Navajo. And and these individuals with the same backup collateral coverage under access or private insurance, appears and receives, as they're entitled to, medical services at these two independent places. Is it the government's position that it gets to keep the third party reimbursement, while the tribe cannot, and that the government has no responsibility to uh, leaven this situation out?
3: Well, no, Your Honor. The, the tribe gets to keep the uh, to keep the third party uh, the, the third party funds, as does the government, and they have they have essentially the same obligations to then to. Uh, to continue to use those funds um for for uh, purposes uh under the, the purposes of the contract um so there there's no uh there really there's no disparity there on uh, the the uh, um the the, uh, the program works the same way for the uh, for um the government uh and and uh, the tribes with respect to to uh, third-party income and the expenditure of that income, um, but again, the what the the key point is that uh, the the government is much more limited in what it does and what it can do under the under uh, the the uh, the program under the Indian Health Improvement Act and the ISTA the than uh, than the tribes are the the, uh, the government um, uh, really it can't it, it as I as I emphasized it can't It it can't even treat um, third the non non non-Indian beneficiaries unless the tribe asks it to, and unless and it and it determines that that won't diminish the services to the tribe. Um, But there's no such restriction on Indian tribes. The tribes are free, and and as they have done um, quite properly and sensibly, they are free to maximize. Uh, their income and to expand their program uh, under, uh, 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 under um, the ISTA. But what, uh, but um, again, con-
2: uh, San, San Carlos Tachi. Um let's see, shall be liberally construed to the benefit of the contractor to transfer the funding and following related functions. How does that clause fit into your analysis? well you're you talking it, about the canon you were talking about the Indian Canon there's a clause in the contract that's very similar
3: it is your it is similar your honor and that's what we believe that is essentially it is essentially a restatement of the canon and it doesn't go beyond the canon it simply it requires the same it requires the same element of ambiguity. For for the for the, uh, the canon to kick in that uh, that the statute does well, the, it seems to
2: be the, very affirmative. It says the contract shall be liberally construed. Well, yes, again, and to the
3: extent that is that there are ambiguities in the contract, it, it has it must be liberally construed uh, in in, uh, in favor of the tribe. But the the key point is that there are no that there aren't ambiguities under either the contract uh, or under the statute, and the, and the statute I'd, I'd emphasize doesn't you know it doesn't require any uh, particular formula for for contract support costs. And this uh, this case it is about it is supposed to be out about uh, contract support costs are supposed to address specific explicit costs. The tribe does not make any any claim that it has not gotten specific um, direct or indirect costs. It's, instead, it has an abstract theory uh, of the statute uh, correctly rejected by the D.C. Circuit and Swinomish that basically allows um, this, uh, allows um, uh, um, contract support costs on this on, on uh, third party funds, which are treated as supplemental income uh, under the ISTA, and that's that is not uh, consistent with the with um, with with uh, um, with, with uh, the language of the statute, and it is uh, and and it is contrary to to the clear mandate of the statute. And uh, if there are no further questions, I would just uh, urge uh, this court to uh, to uh, agree with the D.C. Circuit and affirm the judgment of the district court.
1: Okay, thank you. Thank you, Council. You have have about three minutes for a vote. Thank you, Your Honors,
0: and thank you, Mr. Koppel. The the, uh, discussion today about services to non-Indians, to non-beneficiaries, this is completely out of left field, and in any event has nothing to do with the contract today. We know what the contract is about. This contract is about serving only Indians. And it's about Medicare, Medicaid, private insurance, and the contract health service program. It's not about serving non-Indian people. Uh, Nor is it about serving uh, individuals with tribal resources. For instance, if you have a tribe that is blessed to have gaming revenues and can supplement the program with tribal revenues and enlarge the program, it's a wonderful thing. We're not talking about contract support costs on those kinds of enhancements. Call them revenues, whatever one wants to call them. That's not part of the federal program defined in the Indian Health Care Improvement Act. We can only go that far. We want to be that far, but we do not want to go further. So if my friend is talking about revenues from services provided to others, or sources of monies that are coming from other grants, uh, appropriations from a tribal treasury, contracts with a state, those are all wonderful. But that's not the business of the Indian Self-Determination Act. The federal program under the Indian Self-Determination Act is focused strictly on the program defined, and we accept those limitations in this case. We do not seek an expansion of federal program beyond the scope of the Indian Healthcare Improvement Act. Can, can I ask, just looking at that language in 5320… Um, 5320... Excuse me, Your Honor.
1: I'm sorry. Oh, that's fine. We can hear you just, just okay. fine with uh, um, but. It, the, the D.C. Circuit's read was that the phrase, the operation of the federal program is the subject of the contract from 5325, that if we opened it up uh, in the way that you're advocating, then w- what in the language of that provision would exclude the revenues, say, from gaming or for some other grant? Why wouldn't those right. also be in the operation of the federal program? That's sure. what we're saying. You're, you're saying, you no, know, we're, we're using these for good purposes. I
0: apologize, Your Honor. I was agreeing because it says federal, a federal program. It's not a tribal program. Uh, For all I know, the San Carlos Apache Tribe may have a supplemental tribal program uh, that they're doing wonderful things with, but that's not this act. The contract support costs the government is required to pay are for the federal program and the federal program only, not the federal program enhanced by anything else. So we accept that limitation, and if a tribe has enhancements from other sources that it adds. To provide greater health care, that's wonderful, but the government has no obligation to pay contract support costs under the contract between the government and the tribe.
2: So how do you account for that, through some sort of ratio or something? Uh,
0: You do. It's exactly what it is, Your Honor. It's a ratio. So uh, the indirect costs are pooled together in what's called an indirect cost pool. That's the numerator. I'm running out of time, but may I explain? Of course, yes, please. Um, And then all of the programs that are being supported with that overhead are in the denominator. So you'll have the self-determination contract over here. You'll have maybe some state grants. Maybe we have a blessed tribe that has gaming, have gaming revenues. That overhead is then divided, uh, It produces a ratio, and each of those entities in the denominator carries its share. So if the Indian Health Service is one half of that whole denominator, it shoulders one half of the overhead. If the tribal treasury funds that were contributed is one quarter of the denominator, it's one quarter of the numerator, one quarter of the overhead. It's an allocation system. It's exactly what we were talking about earlier and, and how 5326 speaks to that system and making sure that the overhead allocable to those two state contracts doesn't get shouldered onto the BIA or the IHS. It sticks to itself. Um, the last thing I wanted to say, Your Honors, is, is just you were, you were you were focused on the uh, provision in 5329C, which was interpreted by the Supreme Court in the Salazar case, definitively to say that the government's position can only be sustained if it's clearly required by the statutory text. I think our interpretation harmonizes the statute. It provides that the activities are, are funded uh, so long as they're part of the federal program and is supported by contracts support of costs and we respectfully ask that your honors reverse the district court and remand the matter for trial.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, thanks to both, co- both counsel for your arguments. The case just argued is submitted, and we are adjourned for the day.